We go to the Word of God again this morning, turning in our Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, I'll begin reading this morning in verse 20. Here's the word of God. Hebrews 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Would you pray with me this morning? <clears throat> Lord God, maker of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. We bless your name. Who is like you, O Lord God? To whom shall we liken you? For there is no other God. And Lord, it is today that we would pray to know you as the patriarchs knew you, as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph knew you, and trusted in you by faith. Let us live like that, by your grace, by your mercy, and by your strong right hand, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. entirety of chapter 11 I've entitled Faith That Pleases God because that's what we have found in verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please him so we want to please God and so we want to have faith and we want to know what that is and how that looks in real life even as James has told us you say you have faith says, I'll show you my faith by my works, by what you do. Hebrews chapter 11 is men and women showing their faith by what they did. The reality of it. Faith is an easy word to say. It is an easy property to proclaim. When it gets down to the nitty-gritty, do they even say nitty-gritty anymore? Well, I do. So here it is, the nitty-gritty. When it gets down to real life, what is it? Well, here it is. In another form, we have seen Abel, we have seen Enoch, we've seen Noah, we've seen Abraham, we have seen Sarah. Now we will see Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and for this we will be going to Genesis. This three-verse triplet, and I think it's a triplet that has to be treated together, 
necessitates a great understanding of our Bibles, particularly the book of Genesis. I've told you many times, and so will tell you again, you will never understand your New Testament until you know your Old Testament. The Old Testament is the building blocks behind the New Testament. And the New Testament builds on this body of knowledge that is assumed that we will all have when we study the New Testament. There's so many people who go awry in their understanding of the New Testament because of a lack of the study of the Old Testament. So when Andy Stanley tells you not to look at the Old Testament, you can just tell him, forget about it. It's a shame that that's even said in an evangelical setting, but it has been, and I bring it out because it's in my mind. You cannot know this. You cannot understand this without Genesis. And these three men share something in common. The thing they have in common is what we all will need to have in common with them. And that is a faith that surpasses death. Faith that pleases God is a faith that surpasses our own deaths. You know, it is important that we live well for the Lord. Is that not right? We need to live well for the Lord. Even Paul says he wants to finish well, and we want to finish well. And finishing well means that the finish line is death. No one's getting out of this life alive except for a few who get raptured, and I'm sure most of you are voting or hoping if you have a say in the matter, you might be on board of that. The rest will die. And their faith will be tested there. How we live and then how we die. And these three men died well. They died in faith. They faced death, which in some senses is the highest form of a testing of faith. And they passed on the promises of God. And remember that Death is in view here in our near context. Let me just remind you uh, a little bit of chapter 9 that we've already studied. And it says in verse 27, chapter 9, and it is appointed to men, it's appointed for men, excuse me, to die once. But after this, the judgment. You don't die twice unless you're Lazarus. You die once, and after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. There's death there in the context. And then there is a need to go beyond death, and we saw that just recently in chapter 11 now again, verse 13. Speaking of Abraham, of Sarah, Jacob and Isaac were also mentioned there in verse 9. These all died. Verse 13, chapter 11, Hebrews, these all died in faith. That's how you want to die. 
in faith. Not having received the promises, they're still waiting, they're still believing. As they die, they yet believe. Not having received the promises, they believe in them. But having, here's faith, seen them afar off. They see them as though they had already happened. This reminds us of verse 1, chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That is, God is the substance and his word is the substance. And the evidence i.e. the seeing, blepo is the Greek root, to see, the seeing of things not seen. Faith says, Jesus promised to come again. And we say, I see it. I see it as though it already was. He shall appear, and he shall reign forever and ever, starting with a thousand-year kingdoms. I see it. I see it. I see it coming. That's where we pick up Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Faith that pleases God lasts all the way unto death and even surpasses death. These patriarchs, these fathers of Israel, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, present us with three, count them, three features of faith that surpasses death. Why does it show us this? So that we will hold to the promise with a faith that surpasses even our own death. So faith that pleases God surpasses death. Our first verse of study, verse 20, Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. What does that mean? Things that will happen after he's dead. It gets more specific in verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was what? Dying. You know, there's a point where that really is tangible. Some of you have been around death and you know it. You've watched it approach. You've watched it come and take a loved one in your life. And away they go. The flesh that they walked in that was so animated and so full of life is now empty. The eyes that once sparkled or touched you are now darkened. Not because the lids are closed, but because they're not there. They have died. And many, when they get older, in the depths of the clutches of cancer or some other malady, they know it's coming. And in the coming of it, their faith is tested. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, 
But not only him, Joseph as well. Look at verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying. Why do these three verses need to be held together? Because that's their theme. So short. Each man who lived so long a life, and they all lived long lives, and to whom many chapters in Genesis are dedicated to, each of these three get one teensy-weensy New Testament verse, boom. We might feel they've been shortchanged. But I think we would think wrong. Because all of their lives ended the same. In faith. They believed they saw beyond the grave that was approaching them like a freight train down the tunnel of life, as though it already was. They believed past death. They had faith in God's future. You see, men of faith last. Women of faith don't quit believing. And they do so even to the blessing of the future generation with the promise that they have held and hold past death. See, that's how faith goes beyond death and surpasses death when it is passed on to the next generation. That is our study. That is our study of true endurance. Hebrews 10, 36, For you have need of endurance. Christian, you need endurance. Can I have an amen? You need an endurance with a purpose so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith to the end. Hudson Taylor, that great, great missionary, he said, when God raises up a man for special service, he first works in that man the principles which later on are, through his labors and influence, to be the means of widespread blessing to the church and to the world. In other words, his ministry goes on and on and spreads out wider and wider, but there is a need, there's a need to hold on. There's a need to not cast away your confidence, as 10.35 says in Hebrews. But as Warren Wiersbe said, listen, I think this is a poignant quote for our day, though he is no longer. He says, we need this emphasis today. We need this emphasis today. We have too many celebrities, he puts in quotes, and not enough servants. Nine-day wonders that may flash across the scene for a time, 
And then they disappear. Christianity is the long haul. It is the long trek. It is a distance race, not a sprint. But we only get to see down the road of life so far for there's curves in the road and we can't see around the bend what is coming. Nor can we see over the hills of the mountains to know what's next. We travel on. We keep going. We keep following in faith. And we look up to heaven from whence our help comes and from whom our promises are made. I want to show you the first of three features of a faith that surpasses death. The first feature of a faith that surpasses death, and that is a faith that is willing in the promise. Faith that is willing in the promise. And for this we go to Isaac. Verse 20, Hebrews 11. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Short verse. Not much content or, or is there. As I said before, there's a lot of content here because you need to know who Isaac was, this blessed son of promise to the old man Abraham and the old woman Sarah who had been barren her 90 years before she gave birth by the strength of God to Isaac, whose name, of course, is Laughter, which references that she laughed when she was told by God this promise, that she herself would deliver this son to her husband past the age of childbearing. And laughter came to their house, and the baby giggled and grew. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Notice it goes right past him and to the blessing of his sons. This son who could not be but by the power of God, was preserved by the power of God, was a willing man. Willing in the promise that God had made to his father, Abraham. How do I know that? Where did I come up with this willingness? I got it from even our last study of the testing and trial of Abraham, which is what we just studied last week. Remember verse 17, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, here's the promise, God had promised Abraham this, in Isaac your seed shall be called. His faith was such in that promise that he did not know how this was going to be fulfilled, yet he even believed the impossible. Verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up, to raise Isaac, his only begotten promised son, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Well, that is indeed true faith in action. That is indeed a, a difficult proposition that God gave to this man who was following him, but not only to him, there was somebody else involved in this, 
whose faith had to follow his fathers, didn't it? Abraham wasn't the only one involved in this sacrifice. Isaac was the sacrifice. We turn in our Bibles now back to Genesis 22. See, this kind of willingness in Isaac was a willingness to be sacrificed. Number one in your notes under letter A. Willing to be sacrificed because of his father's faith in the promise of God and in the person of God. Verse 9, chapter 22. Abbreviated version, since we looked into this last week. Then they, this is Abraham and Isaac his son. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now earlier, Isaac had come to the realization that they were walking up a mountain with wood that they had split and gotten ready for a sacrifice, but they had neglected to bring a sacrificial lamb or anything else to put on this pyre of wood. And he points that out to his dad as a good son would. Hey, dad, I think we forgot something. And his dad says to him in sort of a cryptic way, the Lord will provide. And indeed, he believed he would. Now that we know Hebrews 11, but he didn't spill the beans he didn't let on what the end game was until the time they prepared it together. So he gets to put the wood together for his own sacrifice. And then his dad says, okay, I'm going to bind you. Or he must have said something. I don't think he roped him with a lariat, threw him real quick, pig-tied him real quick and said, sorry, son, I'm throwing you up here. No, there's nothing like that. By the way, if you do the math, and I didn't, I read somebody who did. You know me. Math is for you, not for me. I mean, wrath is for others. I mean, well, math is useful. You know how old Isaac probably was? 33. Your Bibles, you might see the word lad in there, but you know what? You weren't considered a man till 40 anyway. Maybe some wisdom there. I'm just saying. So at 33, his old man dad isn't going to force him on there. He has to be willing. That means in some way Abraham lived before his father. Or excuse me, Abraham lives before his son Isaac in such a way that his son believed whatever God had told him to do he would willingly go along for God would keep his promise. By faith, Isaac got on the altar. The Lord had promised. The Lord had promised and the Lord had provided Genesis 22 14, and Abraham called the name of the place 
the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And he provided a ram, and Isaac was given deliverance. He was willing to be sacrificed. Secondly, he was willing to believe the promise of God. He was willing to believe the promise of God himself. Now, Genesis 26, verse 1. There was famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now, many of you might, when you're reading your Bible, see that there's a number of Abimelechs they're crossing quite a period of time. Let me just say it's not the same guy. It's the same title. Just like in Egypt, the title of the king in Egypt is what? Pharaoh. And you get all kinds of secondary names. Pharaoh Ramses. Pharaoh Necho you'll find in your Bibles. Pharaoh Tutankhamun. Pharaoh is the title in the Philistine world, Abimelech. So here you have Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, Isaac. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, listen, I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. By the way, segue, news alert, the land of Israel is God's promised land to Israel. Who deserves to be there? Israel. And all the nations are to come and worship there. So what's going on over there has biblical precedent in that Israel's land is Israel's. But mark it. Until they turn to the Lord and believe, they will never possess it. But that has also been promised that they will repent. They will look upon him whom they pierced, Jesus, and mourn as one mourns for an only begotten, as one mourns for an only son. And they will then be delivered. But it is their land, and I wish someone would just say it, on the news or otherwise, God promised this land to the people of Israel that settles it. He's the highest authority. Why? Because he created all the land and he can give it to whom he wills. End of segment, end of news report, back to Isaac. Isaac believed that God was giving him this land that he had sworn to his father Abraham. Verse 4, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That means through the Jew, Jesus, we will all be blessed, and we are today. Yet the promise remains unfulfilled. They've never possessed all the land, and so we still look, believing they will have it. He was willing to believe the promises of God even during a famine he believed. It seems like you're going to die. You know, when you don't have food, let me just tell you something. 
You're worried about dying. And even more so, you're worried about your children dying before you, who are your heritage, your genealogy, and for him, the genealogy of promise. God says, stay in this land. There's a famine, yes. I'm going to make you live. I don't know how hard it got. It doesn't tell us in Genesis or in Hebrews. I'm just saying the fact is there was a famine in the land. They stayed and they lived. That's faith. The third willingness. He was willing to make peace even amongst the Philistines of the land. Boy, how this seems like today. By the way, Ashkelon is a long-time Philistine city. In your Bibles, you will find it. It's in your news now. Gaza, always Philistines, until David drove them out. I'm getting distracted. I'm back to 26 of Genesis. Genesis 26, verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Famine, stay here. Then he sows a hundredfold. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions and flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Say it isn't so. And the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they filled them with earth. And Abimelech, that king of the Philistines, said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of the water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen. Quote, the water is ours, they said. So he called the name of the well Esek because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Shitna, meaning enmity. Verse 22, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Uzzah, one of the friends, one of his friends, and Pishkol, the commander of his army, 
And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Does this not sound like our news? It does, but here you go. There's nothing new under the sun. But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you so that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. Am I wrong or was there not quarreling over every well he dug? Somebody's getting the story wrong. But it is the side that wants to be protected from this great man and his vast wealth and resources. Here's the deal. There was another Abimelech who had made, who'd made an oath over a well with his father Abraham. And Abraham brought seven ewe lambs and he gave them to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and they made peace. And so Abraham called the name of that well where they'd made peace, Beer Sheba, the well of the oath, or the well of the seven, given an oath, Beer Sheba. Listen now. Verse 31, then they rose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And he said to them, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba. To this day, the place of the well of the oath. Again, he's willing, even with the enemies of the land, for the Lord had placed him in the land. Couldn't he have just said, God gave this land to me. Keep your paws off my well. You want to mess with us? We'll bring it. I find this interesting. I find this uncharacteristically gracious, even merciful. Who were the ones that were afraid? The Philistines. But yet he waited in faith, even making peace in the land until the time God would give him the land. And so he died. Willingly, he blessed his second son, not his first son, Esau, two sons born. He must have known that God had a different plan than his plan. I should have flipped back to chapter 25. For to his wife, Rebekah, God had proclaimed what was going on with those twins that were in her womb. Many of you are familiar with this. Here it is. Here's what was going on. Chapter 25, Genesis, verse then 22. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I this way? 
So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Here's a proclamation from God. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the younger shall or the older shall serve the younger. Isaac's willing to bless the younger. I think he must have known God had said something to his wife. I can't imagine her keeping this a secret. Perhaps she did. I'm not sure. It doesn't tell us. I'm thinking he knew. So that's letter A, and I'm leaving it. Letter B. He was willing to bless his second son, Jacob, and he must have known from his sons that Esau had sold his birthright. Esau had sold his birthright, that's in 25, and now verse 33. Many of you know this story, it begins earlier, that Esau had gone out to hunt, he came back just ravished, he was so hungry. But Jacob had cooked a stew in verse 29, and Esau came in from the field and he was weary, and Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. You know what Edom means, how it translates? It means red. Uh, by the way, we'll see that this man was red and hairy. Hmm. Edom. So have you ever wonder where Edom came from? It's a nation from Esau. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what profit shall this birthright be to me? That is a faith that doesn't surpass death. That is a faith that doesn't trust. There really is a promise to be fulfilled for he will sell it now for a cup of bean soup. Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what profit shall this birthright be to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. There are many Christians this day. Let me put it this way. There are many children in Christian houses today who have heard their parents say, the Lord is coming. His kingdom is coming. Jesus shall return and redeem the world to himself. And they say, everyone has said that. Where is it? And they sell their birthright for a cup of bean soup and the baubles of the world that it will give them for a short period of time. And they do not have a faith that endures and surpasses death. Jacob, on the other hand, wanted it. I'm not saying he was right to get it this way. I'm just saying he wanted it, and he believed in it. We move on. Esau sold the birthright. Now see, he tried to bless Esau anyway, chapter 27. Chapter 27, verse 1. 
Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered and said, Here I am. And he, Jacob, said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Even so, he must have known these things. He wanted to bless his elder son. But we know the story. Jacob and his mom, his mom dressed him up just like Esau, put goat hair on him so he'd be nice and hairy like his brother, sent him in. He lied to his dad. He got the birth, he got the blessing placed upon him. And the rest is history. But in the end, Isaac resolved to honor his blessing to Jacob. Look at 27 and verse 30. 27 verse 30. Then it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had secretly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat his son's game, that your soul may bless me. I am your firstborn son, he says in the next verse, and Isaac has to tell him, sorry, I gave it away. Verse 37, then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed I have made him your master. Indeed I have made him your master. The older shall serve the younger. And all his brethren, I have given to him as servants with grain and wine, and I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept, which is what those many will do in the end who lacked faith and did not believe when it's too late. Then Isaac, his father, answered, and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be in the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. He blessed him anyway. And that reminds us of God's elective love. When God says he's going to bless, he blesses whom he wills. Even breaking the right of the firstborn, he blesses whom he will. But Isaac was willing to follow the promises of God. That's the first feature of faith. Now the second. The second feature of faith that surpasses death is now found in Jacob himself. We've seen the inklings of it as we've read along in there that he wanted the blessing. He wanted the birthright. But in Hebrews 11, again, verse 21, it says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on his staff. Those two things in there, the sons of Joseph and the leaning on his staff, demand we go back again in our Bibles to Genesis. Something happened to Jacob, not just his age, that caused him to be leaning on a staff, and his son, Joseph, who was sent into Egypt. You see, this Jacob, we've already discovered, is a scoundrel. He's a scoundrel. He's a usurper. 
And that's exactly what his name means. Even in Genesis chapter 25, this is what is revealed even at his birth. We'd read there before that there's two nations that were fighting inside of this poor Rebecca. Verse 24, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. And he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Red. Edom. Afterwards his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, which means supplanter or deceitful. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. That is the relationship there. It means supplanter and deceitful. We've already looked at the cunning that he used in Genesis 25 to take the birthright from his brother. And we also learn in chapter 27 of the deceit that he used in dressing himself up to steal the birthright or to steal the blessing from his brother as well. So Esau was left with nothing but a title of servant. But something happens to this man that he will bless his sons, the sons of Joseph. And I think it begins with fear. After he stole the blessing, Rebekah had him run for his life. And he ran back to his roots. He ran back to Haran, where Abraham had come from. He sought a wife there, got to work for her very much, seven years, and then got the wrong wife, Leah, by deceit from Laban, his father-in-law, wonderful guy. And then to get Rachel, the one he wanted, another seven years. And now we find him on his way back to the land of promise with his wives and his family. And now he has sent people ahead and it is told to him that his brother is coming to meet him. Verse 6, chapter 32. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Remember the blessing? He's going to be a man of the sword. And he's got 400 men with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the company into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. There's nothing like fear to humble a man. God's training is a good training room. And I should say fear for a woman as well. But he does the right thing. He knows he's in trouble. You know, this is big brother. You know, and I, I don't know that I have to tell you too much in your lives, but the stuff that happens growing up can uh, resonate, if you will, into your grown-up life. Can I have an amen? And I think it will in this case, because these two boys were as different as two brothers could be. They may be twins, but they were very different. I just want to remind you of one little tidbit that's hidden in Genesis 25, verse 27. Right after they were born, it goes on this way. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, 
and a man of the field. Ah, a hunter. A man out in the, not in the fields plowed, out in the wilds, out in the, the open ground. He hunts for food. Now here's his little brother. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. A houseboy. So nice. So gentle. Yeah. That was happening the whole way through. The big, tough, rough brother, the red-haired one, the one his father adored. And then, Jacob, the gentle son. Now you go ahead in time. Now you realize that something's happening. Because after he steals the blessing in Genesis 27, Esau has this to say about his brother. Verse 41, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau were, her older son were told to Rebekah, so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. That's history, folks. Now he's going to meet big brother on the road back to the promised land, and he's afraid, and something's happening in his heart, and he does the right thing. Now, chapter 32, I told you we had to know Genesis. Verse 9, Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, who said to me, quote, Return to your country and to your kindred, and I will deal well with you. He's saying, Lord, you promised. But he prays in humility. Look at verse 10. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies, of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he comes and attack me and the mother and the ch with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. Do you remember your promise, Lord? You know, you can pray that as a Christian. You promised. I'm trusting in that promise. Let me walk in that promise straight ahead. Verse 12, so he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for his brother, he prepares it all. He divides his company, and then in verse 24, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that, he did not prevail against him. This is the man he's wrestling, that's wrestling with Jacob. He, the man, touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me, said Jacob. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God 
and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Notice he did not tell him his name. Moses will get the same treatment. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. He wrestled with an angel. And we said there was two things in our text. He blessed the sons of Joseph, the two from Egypt, and he worshiped on his staff. He'd wrestled with God. He'd wrestled with the angel of the Lord, I believe, with a Christophany, with Jesus the Christ. This wrestling means to stir up the dust, to grapple, to get down and dirty. Jacob wanted a blessing from God and was willing to struggle to receive it. The heart change that he had was real. But so was the reminder. Verse 31, Genesis 32, just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. He wrestled with God and he got a limp for the rest of his life and a shrunken muscle. And at the end of his life, what did he do? Worshipped. Some of the best things that God will ever do in your life are the worst things. He'll take something from you. You'll wrestle with him. And you won't be the same afterwards. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's dear, even children. Where is your faith going to be? Jacob worshipped, leaning on the staff he had to use the rest of his life. He believed. Jacob was a worshiper of the one true God. That's real faith. He was no longer wrestling with God. He was worshiping God. I asked, what are you doing today? Are you wrestling? Or worshiping? Or saying, thank you for this hip. What a good reminder that without your blessing, I'm as good as dead. Without your promise, there's no hope for my future. And so he blessed the two sons in hope. Let me summarize the last point as our time is gone but needs to stay together. The third feature of faith that surpasses death is it's hopeful. Even beyond the grave. It is hopeful even beyond the grave. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave constructions concerning his bones. If you don't know Genesis, you don't know what departure he's talking about. But we know because we know that Israel went into captivity in a sense 
in Egypt. And for 400 years, according to the promise of God to Abraham, Genesis 15, read it, they would be there, but afterwards they would come out because God's wrath against the Amalekites was not yet full. So Joseph lives his whole life in Egypt, but he gives instructions concerning his bones. The bones of his body. That means he knows he's going to die there, and he knows his bones are going to be buried there, and he trusts that the Lord's going to leave him there for 400 years, and he charges his brothers and sisters, these Israelites, that when you leave and it's going to happen, you pick up my bones. Now that's faith. And you take them with you to the promised land. Let me take you to one more place. Genesis 50. Genesis 50. Here's faith that surpasses death. Verse 24. Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of the land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him and put him in a coffin in Egypt, and you will not find him there. Exodus 13, 17, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt, Verse 19, pay attention here. And Moses took the bones of Joseph. After 400 years, from death to death to death to death to death to death to death, son, don't forget Joseph's bones. Don't forget Joseph's bones. When we leave this place, bring Joseph's bones. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. It's a faith that surpassed generations of death. For he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Here's the principle of it all. True faith finds the future that God had promised. True faith finds the future that God promised and realizes it even beyond their death. Fear of death is a weakness of faith. Confidence in the reward of death is the victory for the believer. Philippians 1, Paul said, For me to live is Christ. To die is gain faith beyond death. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, 1554, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your labor, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. His promise shall come to pass. Pass it on. Pass it on past your death. Let's pray. By faith, O Lord God, let us live. By faith, O Jesus our Savior, let us die in the promise as though it already was, passing the blessing down generation to generation. For this we believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, only begotten of the Father, sacrificed on the altar of the cross for the remission of our sins. We believe he covered them all. And we believe he's going to prepare a place for us. And we believe he's coming again. And we believe he shall set up his kingdom where we shall rule and reign with him and go up to Jerusalem and worship the king. In Jesus' name, we confess it. Amen.